if you're hesitant to take action, just try to simplify it. So the night before, sit down and figure out what's the one thing that makes everything else either easier or unnecessary. And you know what that is. It's probably the thing you've been avoiding. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Mind Valley is bringing you the most advanced education in the world. If you are a member of Mind Valley, know that you're going to get access to all of this for less than $2 a day. See, most schools like Harvard charge thousands of dollars for a college education, and we think this is rubbish. We know that in five years from now, you will be better equipped when you get to study from the likes of the incredible teachers that we bring on the Mind Valley platform with the curriculum design, the amazing storytelling, and the technology that really enables you to truly transform. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman to learn more on how to become a member of Mind Valley. Hey everybody, this is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I have an incredible guest today who's a keynote speaker, best-selling author, and he speaks on the topics of leadership, digital leadership, finding focus, and has been the author of three books, including Socialnomics, What Happens in Vegas Stays on YouTube, and more recently, he's been working on The Focus Project. Now, this man is incredible. Name is Eric Qualman. He's been featured on 60 Minutes to Wall Street Journal. He's worked with companies such as NASA, has been awarded most likable author alongside such names as Seth Godin and J.K. Rowlands, you know, the person who wrote the Harry Potter series. His book, Socialnomics, in 2010, was a Book of the Year finalist by American Marketing Association. He's had a chance to work with companies such as Cadillac Pontiac, AT&T, Yahoo, Earthlink. He's been a professional keynote speaker in all of these businesses, has talked about digital transformation, future trends. And we're going to go probably focus a little more here about digital leadership because, you know, we're all moving to digital and leadership is such an important part of being able to lead a team as well as be a voice out there in the world. And so how do you best use this? What does this term mean? And how do you make the most of it in today's generation? We're going to have Eric give us this and so much more. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Can't wait to talk about digital leadership. Digital leaders are made, not born. So it's great to be here with you in the audience. Thank you so much. Well, at least you broke the first myth. Some people thinking like leaders are not able to be made, but here we're talking about digital leadership. What's that big difference? Like you add the word digital to leadership. Where does that make the transformation? You know, for a lot of your audience, I'm guessing they've probably read these three books, which they've read Good to Great by Jim Collins. They've read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And then they've read The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. These are great books. And I've been fortunate to meet most of them in the green room, great people. But the interesting thing is all those books were written before YouTube exists, before Facebook, before TikTok, Instagram. And so we want to do research around what's still core, because a lot of the stuff in those books is still core or relevant today. But what's it look like with the digital lens? And interestingly enough, we've been talking about this for now nine years. And then this year, 2020, pandemic hits. All of a sudden, everything gets pulled forward, hyper-accelerated four to five years. And so all that transformation people were talking about just happened right now overnight. And so really, it's just a lot of it, it to demystify it. It's really about at the core, if you define it by one word, it's really about empathy. And so when you look at digital leadership, we could talk bits and bytes about it, but at the core center of it is really just understanding it's about empathy. Do I understand my customer, where they're coming from, my employees? And that's what digital leadership is all about. Well, it sounds to me like with all these technologies, the biggest thing that happens is 
there's a lot more data, there's a lot more content, there's a lot more availability and possibility of connecting directly with the people that might buy or your services or do business with you or work with you. Are we talking about this wave of transparency or at least access to information and having it an influence on the way that we behave or lead our organizations or team? Yeah, when you look at the word you just said, information, a lot of your listeners, the struggle they might have is too much information. So if you look at 20 years ago, it was a lack of information. I had to make a decision. Now it's too much information. And we see that firsthand. I'm an advisor at data.world, which is a big company that's basically Facebook for data. And so we see that struggle constantly with the companies that we work with. And so when you look at it, it's at the end of the day is with too much information, what do you need to do? Which, what's relevant? Because big data is exciting, but more important is making it small and actionable. And if you look at it, it's really about are you chasing mice or antelope? Meaning that a lot of the folks, it's not a lack of effort. Like your listeners, they might be making decisions as a leader in the digital era. And what they're doing is, as a lion, think of yourself as a lion, that you're kind of eating chipmunks all day. You're going to die when you do that because it takes more to sustain you as a lion than 100 chipmunks. And so you got to look at the big versus the busy, meaning you got to go after that antelope. And so with all this information, with all this over-communication, is how do I make sure I stay the course and focus on the big versus the busy? And I'm going to admit, like, especially with this age of the internet, a lot of times you're given prescriptions, right? Like everyone's looking at a how-to, everyone's looking kind of at a, okay, what's the hot thing that we should be doing as a company or even as an individual to increase our value, whether that's a question of profit or maybe that's a question of our personal brand and our own worth in the marketplace as an expert. And there's so many things that you can do that are these chipmunks you speak about. Some people say you need to post content all the time and you need to be doing videos and you need to be doing, well, maybe it's a podcast. And there's a lot of these different channels that people could be creating on or getting involved in or maybe investing in, such as you should be going to masterminds. And like, it kind of can feel overwhelming, as you say. And so how do we start realizing how much of the consumption we have are those little chipmunks as opposed to the antelopes? Like what is the filter that we should be using to be able to know when we're finding ourselves in that busy trap as opposed to getting things done? Yeah, it's interesting because when we were writing the one book, Digital Leader, is we go, this stuff's going to change. So technology changes every second, but human nature never does. And so knowing that human nature doesn't change, what are the habits that we can implement each and every day as a digital leader? And it doesn't matter whether I'm selling mattresses or whether I'm an online bank. It's what are the habits that stand the test of time. And then most importantly, the word that I use is be flossom. Like meaning that you've got to understand that part of this is just the process. And so be patient in the long term, but persistent in the short term. And so it's about failing fast, failing forward, failing better. So a lot of your guests probably get on and say, hey, or if they're from Silicon Valley, not your guests, your guests are super smart. You hear it coming out of the valley all the time. Hey, failure makes you better which is completely false. So evaluated failure makes you better. Just like most of us grew up playing an instrument or playing a sport and we're taught the wrong thing that our instructor or our teacher said that practice makes perfect, which is perfectly wrong. It's proper practice leads to progress and improper practice can lead to the wrong kind of permanence. And so when we think about failing fast, it's you wanna do it quick, you wanna do it cheap. When we talk about fail fast, fail forward. Fail forward means you're going to evaluate that failure. That's really hard to do. 
because in our DNA, we don't want to talk about the mistakes. We don't want to sit down and evaluate it as a team. But by doing that, that allows you to fail better because you don't repeat the same thing twice. You actually learn from that mistake. And so you're exactly right. When people ask me for a prescription, I'll go, I'll give you a prescription for habits, but then you've got to figure out that works the best for you. And whether it's a tool or whether it's a process, it's the best tool or process. Because people might ask me, what's the best CRM tool? I'll go, it's the tool that you use. You know, it's the one that you're going to use as a salesperson. And you know this better than most because, I mean, you're an expert on selling. It's like the best CRM tool is the one that you're going to use. And so that's why it's, I don't like the right prescriptions. What I like to do is if you think about a health coach, you want to give those building blocks, like it's eat better and exercise more. The specific exercise, let's test some things out. Oh, you you hate swimming. All right, let's not do that because it's not sustainable. Oh, but you seem to love playing tennis. Okay, let's do that. So it's really the same concept when it comes to that digital leadership. I love that. And you brought up a CRM example. Careful there, you're going to get me talking for an hour. But I've, <laughs> and, and matter of fact is because I've had so many failures with CRMs because I've always been in the space where like I'd have a problem, right? So if a problem I had was I need to be able to track my sales better. And then I would think the technology is the solution, right? I'd go and find this like most awesome CRM. And then I'd be like, wow, look at all the features. And I'll be honest, Eric, I'm a sucker for good marketing. So I get to that homepage. They're showing me a beautiful video of how all this stuff looks beautiful and perfect. And I'm like, there we go. I can throw money at the problem and it will go away. And so how many times have I found myself rolling out a CRM? And for those who might be listening, wondering what a CRM is, it's a client management software. It's basically allowing you to organize all your contacts and follow-ups. Very powerful thing to have. But warning, if you get something really, really powerful with the bad habits, as Eric is saying here, I found that it always accelerated my failure. But I don't know if I had a lot of insight as opposed to, hey, maybe I shouldn't do this again. (laughs) So... Maybe that would bring me to the question, which is like, we talk about how you need to work on those habits. What are some of those key habits that we should be very precise at, especially when it comes to an age where focus seems to be the hardest thing to keep? Yeah, no, for digital leaders, I'll do this very quickly. We didn't know if it was going to be 20 habits or three habits. There's really five common habits. Now, for your listeners, you're listening to this because you're trying to get ahead and it's in your DNA. You know, you're successful. And so what you're going to want to do when I tell you these habits is to run out and start practicing all five. Absolutely not. Number one, you're already good at the habits I'm about to go over. What I want you to do as I go over these, try to figure out, and I'm going to ask you too, like you tell me which one you're the strongest in. I want you to figure out which of these five you're the strongest in. We call it your superpower. My name's like Eric Qualman. So it forms a, when you take the first initial last name, it's equal man. So I'm huge into superheroes. So we call it your superpower. And so again, we didn't know how many habits it's going to be, but here's the five common habits and traits that we see across all digital leaders that we were able to research. Number one is simplification. It's not about adding stuff. It's about taking away. Have the tools work for you. Don't work for the tools, just like we talked about CRM. Then you look at T for true. A lot of you, your superpower is you know your true north. And then you take either one person or 10,000 people with you. So your core, you know what you're, where you're going and how to get there. Others, your superpower is action. You know, you're just good at taking action. Nothing happens out of action. The number one reason, by the way, just as a side note, the number one reason that people don't take action is they're afraid to fail. We just talked about that being a key thing that you need to do. M is for map. And so the difference now, this is a key difference from past leadership to now digital leadership. You used to kind of set your destination, then you'd have a process, a linear process to go get it. Well, the, the world's not linear. And 2020 is a perfect example of that. 
And so it's more being a firm in your destination, but then flexible in your path on how you get there. So firm in your destination, flexible in your path. And then last but not least is key for people. You need to surround yourself with the right people offline, but more and more, especially in this pandemic, it's gone all Jetsons. For those that aren't familiar with American cartoons, there's the Jetsons, which is the modern folks. And then there's the Flintstones, which are obviously self-descriptive. They're back in the Stone Age. It's a combination of that Jets and Flintstones, always digital leadership. You can't replace face-to-face. But now that we're in this pandemic, it's gone all Jetsons. It's gone all virtual. So it's really about developing those relationships online. And a quick tip for this might be the number one thing you take away from listening here today that you might do each and every day for three minutes. Just write down what I call posting it forward. So it's taking that selfie mentality and doing the exact opposite. It's an unselfie. So for three minutes a day, just go shine the light on someone else digitally. That's the best way to develop relationships. And so it might be you go and post on Instagram or LinkedIn or YouTube or whatever your favorite tool is. Just like, here's three people. They're doing great things. And you post their names. It's as simple as that. So just carve out three minutes a day to do it. Or it's as simple as you see an article that you read and you send it an email to someone. Hey, I'm thinking about you. I know you like this stuff. This article is great. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So what you're doing is when time and distance are an issue, or in this year, safety, you're reminding that person that relationships matter. That's some powerful action and so simple to do, right? We'd overcomplicate that part. Yet you talk about a three minutes here that you can just dedicate to shining that light on someone else and really being able to put a smile on someone else's face and nurture that relationship in the process. Yet sometimes I guess we're just too self-obsessed here. So I'm glad that you're giving this tip that's getting you to unselfie in a world that seems to go more towards the trend of narcissism, it seems. And now you've mentioned a few of these traits, right? All these different superpowers. And if I get this right, tell me if I'm listing this correctly. We got simplicity. We have working with the technology. So yeah, it's stamps. So simple, true, act, map, P, and people. Simple, true, act, map, people. Which one are you? I'd like to know. Well, at first I thought it was simple. Like I like the simplicity, but then I find the technologies that are supposed to simplify things, but then they end up complicating my life. So then I had to scratch that one out. I think for me is action. It has to be action. And this is the reason why I roll out a complicated CRM on the flip of a dime, or I'll go out and say like, hey, I need some help. I'm going to hire someone right now. And like, I'll go on upwork.com. I'll find a virtual assistant or a specialist in graphic design. We'll get them on the payroll. Let's go. So I would say I definitely action is my superpower. Love it. That's good. It's a hard one to have. It's the first step's the hardest. Now I want to take a moment to kind of throw this on the listeners. So I'd be curious to know what is your superpower as you listen to this. So hold on here. We got simplicity. We have truth. We have action. We have map. Then P for people. Yep. Perfect. So let me know what is yours. I'd love to open up the conversation. If you have a chance to connect with me on Instagram or on LinkedIn, it's Jason Mark Campbell. Mark is with a C. And then I'll make sure to bring in Eric on the conversation. I'd love to see what is your superpower because I have a feeling that each of these superpowers also possibly have a dark side. And maybe I'd love to go deeper into this here, Eric. So if I'm an action person, obviously I feel like I probably leave a trail of fire behind me. And would that be the dark side of the action taker? And is there things that I should be worried about? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's always your strength can be your weakness. And so action, it might be you're taking on too many things. Uh, that could be, it depends on the individual. But a lot of times that's the one dark side is that you're taking on too many items by always just act, 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 rather than pausing for a second and going, how does this relate to some other stuff we're doing so that two plus two equals 10 rather than two plus two equals four? Well, I mean, 
back to this, uh, you know, lion eating uh, chipmunks. gerbils. <laughs> chipmunks, chipmunks. Chipmunks, there we go. So then because I'm an action taker, I'm like, all right, we're eating these, these chipmunks. Then I built a machine that allows me to process a hundred chipmunks real fast. And I think that's one of my traps when it comes to my quote unquote simplicity mindset. And so maybe very interesting speaking about each of these traits. We talked about the people. There's a powerful action we can take to nurture that side. In my case of action, I feel like, okay, this is already something that I do very easy as I can leap forward. For someone who hesitates on taking action, what are some of the things we could share? Because you said it's a lot about with fear, right? Mm-hmm. If you're hesitant to take action, just try to simplify it. So the night before, sit down and figure out what's the one thing that makes everything else either easier or unnecessary. And you know what that is. It's probably the thing you've been avoiding. But it's really just write that down. The reason you do it the night before is by doing that, you sleep better because your mind, the way it works is that now it's like you've done something to address that problem. Now that's kind of, you haven't really taken a step, but that is a step just in itself. Then the next morning, the first thing you should do is address that, take that first step. Because the first step's the hardest, it really is. And sometimes for some people, we sit down and go, all right, just start a clock for five minutes and go. So let's say you've been wanting to write a book forever or screenplay, whatever. And you're like, well, I need an hour of just zen. And then that hour just doesn't happen. So it's set the clock, five minutes. I guarantee you're probably going to write a word. Then all of a sudden, that five minutes turns into a half hour, an hour, and away you go. Mm. It's almost like saying like, all right, today I'm going to do one push-up. And that push-up turns into two real quick. I have a funny story. Actually, My I'm with my girlfriend and we're at home and she's like, oh, it's raining outside. We can't go to the gym. And then I'm like, all right, we could do one push-up. She's like, no, she says, can we do one push-up? Then I'm like, why don't we do a 50-minute push-up competition? And then we ended up escalating to that. And that was great. Now, for a lady doing push-ups for 15 minutes for the first time, that definitely gave her a lot of pain. So I felt almost bad, but she definitely liked it too. These little habits, right? Like you just got to get started. It brings me to this latest project that you've been working on, the whole focus project. I know you mentioned that, especially during COVID, this has been a need. This has been kind of a, an epidemic that's happening in itself about people losing their focus. And even I spoke about it a little earlier. And you did something that would probably be considered phenomenal in the publishing industry is you actually went ahead and published this book earlier than scheduled. So can you tell us more about what was the catalyst into the creation of this focus project? And what was the reason why we needed to be accelerated, especially during the 2020 year? It was interesting. So the catalyst for me, so mainly what I do for a living is I speak on stage and I have a small animation studio and write books. And so essentially I control my time more than most people would. But at the end of each day, I'd realized my hair was completely on fire and I'd been running a million miles an hour and I hadn't achieved the big things. And so I was eating those chipmunks instead of going after that antelope. And so I go, this is crazy. So then as I traveled the world, I'd sit down with the CEO. I'd sit down with the school principal. I'd sit down with the stay-at-home dad. And they all had the same problem, that their struggle was with focus. Now, as CEOs, I'd ask them, what's your superpower? Like, why are you in this position leading 20,000 people? And they go, I'm better than focusing than most. And I go, what's your kryptonite? And they go, staying focused. So it was that constant battle. So I go, okay, I'm not alone. And then I got excited. I go, what would happen? Like we just talked about sales. You talked a lot about sales. If I just did a month where I focused on sales for our company, and then I literally had four false starts. Like I go, okay, I'm going to do an hour a day. I'm going to start the day an hour, just do sales, outreach, or reach out to people I know. 
And for that month, it was 17 minutes total. Not 70 minutes per day, it was 70 minutes total. And so I go, wow, this is really hard. But I got excited because I was going to do one thing a month. So one month I was going to be getting shape. You know, you just mentioned push-ups. So the goal would be to be able to do 100 push-ups straight. And so just, I got excited from the standpoint of having that hyper-focus. And so I did that over 12 months. Again, a lot of false starts for that first year. So the first year was a waste. So then I had to start again the next year. And then the reason we moved the book forward is because once the pandemic hit, I started writing this and finished it before the pandemic. Pandemic hits, all of a sudden people might be physically okay. Mentally, they're a mess. And so I start getting these emails and messages on social. Hey, can you move the book launch forward? And so we were able to move it forward a couple months, which was huge because it has really helped people out. So it's been great just getting those notes that say, man, I was in a dark place and this has really kind of got me back on track. And it's because I was in the same place, you know? So I was just like speaking from the heart. I feel you. I mean, when the pandemic hit, especially at the beginning, it was very stressful and the mind kind of went to the worst places and those habits. And, you know, I was listening to Stephen Kotler, one of the authors here at Mind Valley, he was talking about what was happening in our minds during the pandemic. And we were so concerned with the short-term survival of what's going on. We were like, okay, we need to stock supplies. We need to evade this plague that's happening. And our mind was just so focused on the short-term that we stopped. Like I know for me, I stopped thinking about all the things that I know are long-term to my health. So yeah, the fitness went down. A lot of my habits went down. It demanded a lot of energy to get back into it. And Quite frankly, in my case, was like, yeah, like you said, a lot of false starts, but then I kept going. So in your case here, when you're speaking about the Focus Project, what were some of the things that you've noticed were the most important for people who are looking to do the transformation within themselves and are seeing themselves with the track records of a lot of false starts? I would hope that there's some level of maybe self-understanding and self-love that needs to start there. But what are things that you've discovered in the process of writing this book? The top items that I discovered, well, first... The research has always shown, it just played out once we dug into the research that you said self-love is that the greatest predictor of success, both business and personal self-awareness. And so it is that self-love. And then we talked about digital leadership, that empathy. Can I understand you? Funny enough, my initials EQ, it's emotional intelligence. So it's just kind of crazy that I always dig into that stuff. But the learnings for me doing my own project and also now getting the emails from readers is that focus is really, really, really hard especially during the pandemic, but focus can be learned, can become a habit. And then the second big aha for me is that all these successful people are better at focus than most of us, not because it's inborn, not because they have a better education or more intelligent, blah, blah, blah. They just are better at saying no. Now, the reason they're better at saying no is because they rely on processes, not willpower. And so they're the right process in place to say no. So for me, that was kind of the biggest takeaway. Now I'm better at saying emphatic no or emphatic yes. You know, if it's not an emphatic yes, hey, do you want to go to the Super Bowl? Yes. Hey, do you want to do this? Uh, I probably should do that. It should be an emphatic no. So it should be an emphatic yes or an emphatic no. No in the middle. Ooh, I love that. Actually, that's the first time I hear about this. And it makes me realize that every single situation in my life where I have to hesitate on what to answer yes or no are the most energy draining parts of my life. And so the solution you said is building processes and systems to make you make those decisions. So I guess at some point you need to have some damn clarity on what you want. (laughs) Oh, you're right. The clarity can actually come from the emotional side. Like it's literally should be 
to start going on this path, you should go cold turkey and just be emphatic. If it's not an emphatic, yes. Like if you don't absolutely love it, start to say no. Because we have this misconception that we have an unlimited inventory of yeses. And you're an e-commerce guy. Is That's where I started to go. It's like I've got to think of it more like a shelf. That I've got a product and I've got yeses. I've only got a certain amount. And so at some point, I got to say, I'm all out of yes. And the better way to think about it, because most of us are people pleasers, and that usually does well by us, you know, empathy, we're worried about other people. But if you say yes to everyone, you're saying no to everyone. And so once you research doctors, different countries have different rules, but in the United States, you can only perform surgery for a certain amount of time before you're required, mandated to take a break, because otherwise you start making mistakes and it's worse for the patient. And so you got to think of yourself like a doctor. A doctor wants to save every life, but they can't say yes to everyone. That's bad for everyone. And so the same holds true for us. We can't say yes to everyone. So we've got to be emphatic yeses, emphatic noes. I mean, sugarcoat it. I was going to say, to speak of empathy that we talked about earlier is, you know, you got to tip your hat to all the doctors in the world that have to make that decision. Like for some of the no's that we have is like, yeah, we don't get to have a burger with a friend because we decided we were doing a better diet. But imagine being in a situation where your nose is, you know, really affecting other people's lives and you know you need to make that. That requires some high emotional intelligence, some high character, understanding the greater good and what a burden to keep on your shoulders. So I guess I want to tip my hats to all the doctors out there that have to make those tough decisions. Yeah, we got to tip our caps to them and also remind ourselves that they are using a system as well. In the U.S., it's a mandated system where the hospital mandates it, but that's a system because otherwise they would go over it because I want to save everybody. Oh, you're right. Yeah, good thing that's in place because yeah, I can imagine what the torture must be in this scenario. I wanted to, to just have a, a light note to end this, which is really fun. So your second book here, What Happens in Vegas Stays on YouTube. What made you come up with such an interesting title for a book? I mean, I was just watching the news every day and then seeing my feed going, wow, people still don't understand that the world, that privacy is dead. I would laugh because they were still running the campaign for Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I go, no, it doesn't. Like, I obviously, I speak a lot. So 20 events a year, I'd be in Vegas. I'd take the escalator. I go, they still have that sign and they don't understand that it doesn't stay here with all these mobile phones. And so that's where the, the inspiration came from. I was coming up the escalator at McLaren International Airport in Vegas and going, man, I got to I gotta write a quick book on this. Let the world know that what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. It stays on YouTube. Now, the fact that it goes on YouTube, do you think has been doing a positive shift or are there some things we should take out from that as well? You know, I get the question a lot about the technology and if the social dilemma, for those that haven't watched on Netflix, was huge this year that a lot of people didn't understand that if you don't pay for a product, that you're the product. It was eye-opening for a lot of people. Those in the business obviously know that, but it was eye-opening to me that the general public, of course, wouldn't know that. And so when people ask me, if it's a lot of principals ask me this too, or superintendents, I go, yeah, got to think of technology like a scalpel that in some instances it can save a life in other instances it can take the life. So the technology is not inherently bad. It all depends on how we use it. So it's great to be on a podcast like this because then we can help people understand the best ways to use this technology because it can be very, very powerful if you use correctly. That's awesome. And then for those of who are listening to this podcast, you will be missing out on something incredible about Eric is he has these signature amazing green glasses. And I wanted to close on that. What's the theme with your amazing look with the green glasses? Is that your token accessory on the stages? And how did that come about? 
You know, it's crazy. So with a name like Eric Qualman, your first initial last name is Equal Man. So you're always handed the Equal Man email address. And honestly, for I'm going to tell the story because I think it's helpful for the audience to remind you to step into your story. Don't do what I did, which was resist my story for 15 years. So for 15 years, I actually hated the moniker Equal Man because people would be, oh, Equal Man's here. He can get the coffee super fast. Oh, you need the report this weekend? Well, Equal Man can work this weekend. He's super strong. And I did a magazine shoot for one of the books, was doing well. And so they go, hey, your name's kind of unique. We'd love for the cover to kind of have you in some Clark Kent like Superman glasses. I go, that sounds cool. And they go, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Do you mind if they're green? I go, yeah, let's do it. And I didn't really think much of it. And then I flew a couple of weeks later to Kenya to give a talk. Now, the night before, I went to adopt a baby cheetah at a rescue shelter because you don't adopt cats and dogs in Kenya. It's a lion or a cheetah or a tiger. And so on the way over, the lady that I'm with says, hey, we had the Olympian Usain Bolt here the sprinter earlier, a couple of days ago, and he adopted from the same litter that you're going to adopt from. We filmed him. We'd like to film you to marry this footage together so we can raise more money for the shelter. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then she pauses and looks at me and says, but obviously we want to make sure you have your green glasses on. And I look at her and I go, oh, I don't wear those around all the time. I'd look kind of like an idiot walking around town with green glasses on. And she pauses and I never want to see this look in anyone's face again. So now I wear them all the time. And she goes, no, no, no. That's what everyone thinks you look like in Kenya. So I've been stuck wearing the green glasses. But to be honest, it forced me into taking that step that we talked about, you know, that I was afraid. I didn't realize that I'm on stage telling people to don't be afraid to fail. And I was afraid to step into my story. Because it's very uncomfortable to step in your story. But once you do, it's the best place you can be long term. And it's been great for business. We've lost some business because people are like, we don't want the crazy guy with the green glasses. But we've gained a lot more business because of it. And we actually now sell a ton of green glasses around the world. So it's kind of funny. That's amazing. Well, I'm glad we had a, a superhero on the show, the equal man, dropping knowledge and having a lot of fun. I just want to make sure anybody here who's listening, you definitely want to go check out Eric's books as well as anything that he's doing on the digital front. We'll make sure there's some links to his profile as well as everything that he does. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing so much fun, so much insights here. And for people listening in, you know, some of the foundations of leaderships are great, but there's a lot of transformation that has happened in the digital age. One of the things that we know, of course, is the fact that the privacy has eroded slightly. So what happens in Vegas stays on YouTube. So how do you show up every day? What is the actions you take? And how is it, are you noticing that whatever actions you do, it's noticed. And guess what? It can even be published digitally. So how do you behave? What are the things that you really want to stand for and realizing that you need to become the leader that you should be in the face of a team as a father, as a mother, as the leader of an organization? At the same time, we spoke a lot about the erosion of focus, how today being able to nurture a focused mind is going to be one of the biggest competitive advantages to grow within your career. And then I love the fact that we look at the five superpowers and seeing how we can focus on the best ones. Now, here we have the simplicity, we have the truth, we have the action, we have the map, as well as having the team, or I believe it would be the people. And so when you look at these difference, try to identify what is your superpower and understand that with every superpower is a little kryptonite. So it's find yourself being able to maximize your own superpower, but be aware of that kryptonite that might be sneaking back as well. And you're going to want to go and pick up the latest book from Eric, which is the focus project, simple and doing less, which is going to allow you to have that focus, be able to actually deliver amazing things. Stop chasing those hamsters and really go for the antelopes that exist in the world. There's a lot of problems to be fixed in the world. We need a lot 
lot of individuals that can step in and be able to fix those. And you are a superhero that can do it. And if you're looking to have a partner in crime, definitely go see Equal Man stuff. He's going to be an ally in the process. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show and all the listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. <laughs>